Hi everyone and welcome to All About Fertility podcast. I'm Ella, your host, and today we're speaking with the Dr. Manny Mangat. And she is a highly regarded fertility specialist with extensive gynecological and surgical experience. And she specializes in all areas of fertility care. Welcome, Manny, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ella. Thanks for having me on today. No problem. Now, one thing that stands out, Manny, is your passion and your care that you hold for your patients. Now, I was on um, some Facebook groups, um, my IVF groups that I'm uh, a part of, and I mentioned that I was interviewing you. And one thing that came out from that was everybody's love for you and your staff, which was really encouraging, great to hear. That's amazing. Um, Thank you. That's nice feedback. (laughs) And I have to say, um, as, as, as some patients would have seen on, on the 60 Minutes clip last Sunday, yeah. that I truly love my patients. And I actually say that on TV. Yeah. I'm like, besides loving my job, I love my patients. There is absolutely nothing else I'd rather do. Mm. And, the you know, the, one of the reasons I picked fertility is because it's such an amazing mix of medicine, cutting-edge science, research, but it also allows you that human side of medicine, you know, Mm. supporting and empowering women and couples achieving dreams of family. I mean, there's, even though it may sound cliche, there's really no better thing. It's that joy of children and joy of family. And just, um, you know, it's, I I just can't think of anything else I'd rather do. So it's, it's amazing. Thank you. That's, that's really good to hear because, you know, I think it's really important for patients when they see their facility specialist that, you know, you're on their journey with them. And so they do want to relate to someone who, you know, cares about their well-being and getting, you know, what they so desired, which is the baby at the end. Absolutely. So what I would love is if you could just tell us a bit about yourself and you sort of mentioned um, how you decided on your specialty. Why fertility? Yes. So I suppose, first of all, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist and fertility specialist. I also do laparoscopic gynecology and I'm one of the 72 CREIs, which are qualified subspecialists via the College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in this area. Um, And I'm clinical director at IVF Australia and I mainly practice out of our York Street Service, Greenwich, which is Lower North Shore and Burwood. So I do get around a little bit. We've got um, three different sites that mm. I practice from. However, these days, as you know, with um, you know COVID and doing a lot of telehealth, I get patients from all over the place because location doesn't so much matter anymore. Um, and yeah, so everything's still on. Yeah. Yours doing everything online? Correct. Everything is still on it. We're doing yeah. most things online, but, um, you know, all procedures and, mm. and um, certain face-to-face appointments are still going ahead as normal, which is great. Yeah. It would have been terrible if we had to, um, you know, close down for any longer than we had in April mm. this year. Yeah. yeah. And with regards to mm. why I chose fertility, as you said, I think I alluded to that. It's really my passion and... Um, I really do enjoy the research and and improving the technology that we have and the current research that I'm involved with is um, based around artificial intelligence and how we use that to Mm. support um, the selection of the best embryo that's going to get us to that outcome of a, you know, live birth quickest. 
Um, so there's so yeah. much that has changed in the field over the last 40 years and even over the last 12 years that I've been involved in the area, we've had changes and leaps and bounds. Um, you know, so I've been a doctor for 20 years, seen all these changes, been a fertility specialist for 12, and things change so quickly. Um, it's just amazing, as you said, and then you're part of this, you know, great um, it's just, it's the area changes so quickly. And as I said, I just love my patients and enjoy helping them. And you're right. You can't really separate yourself. You know, it's not medicine and patient. It's more, as you said, walking on their journey with them and actually understanding each patient yeah. and their individual needs. So the hot topic of discussion currently is around elective egg freezing and I have a few inquiries and I have a couple of clients um, who are going forward for egg freezing. In fact, I was just talking to a client this morning about her injections. So for someone who's thinking about or who someone who's unfamiliar with the world of fertility or assisted yeah. reproductive technology, can you explain what elective egg freezing is and why someone might choose to freeze their eggs? Yeah, absolutely, Ella. It is a very topical um, area at the moment. And correctly, we are seeing many, many more young women coming in for consultations, um, you know, with more publicity and education to actually look at the option of freezing their eggs. So I think it all actually caught on and became more popular probably a couple of years ago when big companies like Facebook, Google and Apple actually publicised that they were going to support their young female staff through egg freezing and even support payments towards egg freezing cycles. And that cottoned on in Australia and, and um, large companies here started looking into options like that as well. And I think then, you know, it became more of a, a, a topic that was widely discussed and young women started looking into it as an option. Now, the reasons why people do it are so varied, you know. For the first time, um, our national data suggests that first-time mothers in Australia are now over 30 years of age. So as a general trend, we are actually you know, older and, and not having our children till later. And some reasons for that would be most of us are now career orientated and are actually in the workforce and therefore want to achieve a lot more with our qualifications and our job prospects before settling down. Um, you know, some people still want to find the right partner and that often seems quite difficult um, because, you know, as we all know, Finding the right man can be a challenging task, mm. and some um, oh, tell me about right. It. And some women mm. still want to travel and um, explore job opportunities overseas, and find that for convenience they rather um, start their family in their late thirties. However, as you know, we are born with our eggs, and um, our biological clock keeps ticking and our evolution, we haven't evolved to have children later in life. Our egg quality is better when we're younger. So for all those reasons, it becomes harder for us to fall pregnant um, as we get older. And hence now egg freezing offers a very viable option or insurance to consider for young women. Um, just alluding to the other part of the question of, you know, what it involves, I guess, where I want to start with is um, just to mention that we are born with all the eggs we're ever going to have. 
and we still haven't figured out how to make new eggs. And that is, a, you know, an alarming fact that most of us don't learn till later in life. And in order to measure our egg reserve, there is a hormone test called your AMH or your anti-malarian hormone. And that mm. is a hormone released by the little follicles in the ovaries or the preantral follicles that, are, uh, that should contain an egg in them. So that gives us a surrogate indication um, based on algorithms for your age as to where you sit, whether your reserve is low, normal or high. And that um, correlated with an ultrasound done in the first week of your menstrual cycle, uh, measuring for, the, for those antral follicles that have been recruited for the month can actually then give us a good indication of reserve. However, what's important to mention is that there is no test for quality of those eggs. And we find that the, the biggest determinant of quality decline is aging. And, you know, no matter how healthy we are, I mean, of course, it's important to be generally healthy. And I have a lot of women who take care of their health these days, exercise, eat right, take antioxidants. But it's important to know that that background process of aging due to our cellular metabolism and reactive oxidative damage continues in our body regardless of how well we preserve our external you know appearance and we find that the quality of those eggs starts to decline after about 37 so numbers start to decline from about 35 slowly quality starts to to have more of an impact after 37 38 and then there is a very steep decline after 40 years of age so you know, therefore, if we are going to consider egg freezing as an option, I think the best time for women to do this is in their early 30s. Um, obviously, we can freeze eggs at, at any age, but to give you the most chance of success at the end, um, freezing your eggs when they're better quality then gives you a better chance of um, actually creating a normal embryo later on. So I think in your early 30s, you've, you know, thought about where you're at and looked at your career prospects and possibly given yourself a chance to meet someone. Um, and if that hasn't happened, that doesn't matter. You still have good quality eggs and that's probably a good time to consider, um, you know, doing something about it. Most women I speak to about egg freezing are in their late 30s, some are in their 40s. And they've obviously come to the realization that they haven't met the right person yet, but they still want children. So should they or should they not be going down the path of freezing their eggs? So that's that's a very important and good question. Um, so as we said, a woman's egg quality at 40 is going to be um, you know, poorer or would have declined compared to a woman who's, for example, 33. Mm. So all that indicates is that we're going to need more eggs frozen in order to account for the attrition that the eggs go through to then have the, a good chance of having an embryo at the end with, the norm, with normal chromosomes. So what I mean by that is if a woman at 40 still has a good egg reserve, then, yes, she might still be a good mm. candidate um, for egg freezing. However, she has to be aware that this is, as we know, an insurance policy and there's no guarantee that those eggs will become a baby in the future when we want to use them. 
And that's why, you know, we say an egg is so far away from a baby. So you need to factor in the loss from the eggs that we have. So I'll just run through that. Um, what I mean by that is we suggest that under 37, we need 12 mature eggs frozen in order to have a good chance at one baby. So we usually suggest that, you know, so let, we, we require an IVF cycle to collect these eggs. So I'll start right back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So an IVF cycle for, for those of our listeners um, who've not been through this and are wondering what it involves is actually where we give the woman injections to stimulate growth of follicles. So as I explained before, um, our AMH predetermines the number of follicles that we recruit for use each month. So if we have a good egg reserve and an AMH of 20, which is average for someone in their early 30s, our ovaries would be recruiting about 20 follicles out of the primordial pool each month. From that group, our brain then uses FSH signals to manipulate the growth of one or two follicles. And once they reach the dominant stage, then that follicle will ovulate, which is your natural chance at conception each month. The other 19 or or so that the body had recruited that didn't win the hormonal race would then just attrease or die. And the whole process starts again the following month. And that is how we run out of our 1 million or so eggs by the time we're 50 without thankfully having a million periods. Mm. So we, we do lose a lot of these eggs in the background each month and we haven't become more effective reproducers as humans because we're designed to have one baby at a time. Mm. So the medications in IVF are pretty much the same FSH that your pituitary releases However, it is in a higher dose that boosts the recruitment of that group of follicles. So the aim of the medication is to recruit all of those 19 or 20 follicles that your body has given. And remember, that number will be determined by your individual AMH level. So patients need about 10 days of injections usually in an IVF cycle on average. And that normally starts with the beginning of a period. So we teach our patients how to use these needles themselves. Um, They're subcutaneous and just go under the skin and they normally come in click pens, which are easy to learn. And we bring patients in on day two of their cycle for a blood test. And if their hormones are all baseline, we start one injection a day for five days. And then we come back for a blood test. And if your body shows that you're responding to that dose and that medication, we then start a second injection for the following five days. So the second injection is a GnRH antagonist or a medication that is designed to stop ovulation because, remember, we want to keep those follicles growing to their optimum size so that we can then collect those mature eggs rather than having them ovulate into the body. So the whole process for the patient takes about two weeks from start of period to egg collection to then freezing those eggs. And what I'd like to mention also is that... um, you know, how do we know what eggs we can then freeze? As I told you, there's no test for quality. So mm-hmm. we freeze eggs that are in the metaphase two stage or they are mature and therefore ready for fertilization. So eggs that are in the metaphase one stage or germinal vesicles or GVs, they are eggs that will not or not 
have the potential of maturing and they may then not fertilize in the future. We know they don't fertilize, so we don't freeze those. So this is where the attrition begins. So let's say we collected 15 eggs and I'm talking about a woman under 37 at the moment. So we collected 15 eggs of those 12 of them are mature and frozen. So not all of them may be frozen. That's the first step of attrition. Then the second thing we have to consider is their survival when we thaw those or warm those eggs. So the process we use these days for egg freezing is called vitrification. And this has been utilized for seven to 10 years now. So in the past, you'd remember, Ella, that egg freezing was experimental, you know, and most people didn't talk about it, didn't really offer it as an option unless they were unwell or were having chemotherapy and then their doctor talked about it. The reason it wasn't so well Mm. utilized or publicized is because the slow freeze technique to preserve those eggs was not very good at all. So the egg is the largest water-containing cell in the body. And when we used to slow freeze them, they used to form ice crystals. So most of the eggs that we thawed would not survive at all and not make a baby. So in those days, we used to say patients needed 50 eggs frozen to make one baby. And, you know, who's got the money and the time and the inclination exactly to do that, which is why it wasn't so Mm. accessible. However, as of seven to 10 years ago now, we have progressed to new technology, which is called vitrification. And those eggs are snap frozen like glass. So they're taken down to temperature very quickly. And with that technique, there is no ice crystals that form in those eggs. And so when they are warmed, we see that at least 80% of them should survive the process. So if we go back to our previous numbers, we've got 12 mature frozen. We expect nine or 10 to survive the thaw. And then they should behave like a fresh egg. So of those nine or 10, you will have seven or eight that fertilize with good sperm. And then you should have about three or four make it to the blastocyst stage. So once you get, so you can see how 12 has now become three. And under 37, the chromosomal makeup of those embryos are normal in 40 to 50% of the time. So therefore, we might end up with one chromosomally intact embryo that's going to make a baby and go on to a life. So to answer the question about whether a 39 or 40 year old can freeze eggs, I suppose depends on a couple of factors. So if in our initial investigations, we see that she's got an amazing AMH, right? So at 40, the average AMH level is now about six. It's come down from 20 to about six. And that's natural aging and natural decline. So if she's got a higher egg reserve than average for her age, and her level comes back at 15, for example, that gives us an indication that we may get 10 to 15 eggs collected in one cycle. So she's a good candidate to attempt this. However, at 40, we don't um, suggest that 12 mature eggs will be sufficient to make a baby because the rate of embryos that we make at 40 that are going to be chromosomally normal or intact has reduced. So it's not going to be 50% of the blastocysts we create being intact. It's probably going to be 30%. So we may find that two or three out of 10 blastocysts are now going to be chromosomally normal. So to end up at something usable, we have to start with a huge number of eggs frozen. So we may say that at 40, you need something like 40 to 50 eggs frozen. And as you can imagine, that may take more than one IVF cycle to get to that number frozen. And they are the things we have to weigh up. And I guess while we're talking about the feasibility of that, I should 
you know, bring in the other considerations that a woman may have to think about. So the first thing is we have to go through an IVF cycle to freeze those eggs. We know these days with good medication, good support, um, you know, good nursing support, we tailor cycles to match individual needs. You know, it's safe. However, some people do have side effects to the FSH medications that we use. They can get headaches, feel a bit moody, get a bit bloated. And then, of course, we have to talk about the egg collection process itself. Again, that is very safe. And we do this under ultrasound guidance and patients have sedation, so they usually don't feel any pain. But as with any surgical procedure, there's about a one in a thousand chance that there may be a risk of minor infection in the pelvis or bleeding that requires, you know, um, further intervention. And worst case scenario is that infection may lead to damage of the ovary or tube. And remember, most of these women have not had children of their own. And they may actually be considering trying naturally if they met someone in the future. So we have to mention these risks, even though they're small. And the last thing we have to consider, as I said, is how much we're going to put our body through and how much cost it's going to take to get the adequate number of eggs required frozen for a good outcome. And when it comes to cost, I guess a lot of patients listening today will have the question, you know, how much does this actually cost? So mm. if someone is coming forward because they are proactive, intelligent young woman who wants to keep some good insurance for their future, you know, I feel they should be supported. However, Medicare hasn't come to the party yet. Medicare only offers mm. a rebate if there's a medical indication. So if a woman has been in a relationship previously and not fallen pregnant or she's had recurrent miscarriage or she's you know, about to lose an ovary to surgery for endometriosis or a big cyst, there are medical indications that would qualify a patient for a Medicare rebate. Then the egg-free cycle would cost about $5,000 out of pocket. But if a patient has to pay for all the costs without a rebate, you're talking about nine to $10,000 to freeze eggs in one cycle. Besides the initial outlay for freezing, there's also the ongoing cost of freezing. However, thankfully, that's not very high. It's about $500 a year to keep those eggs frozen. So I always tell my patients that it's less than a gym membership, right? So it's probably mm. worth considering because it's important and it's insurance for their future. And then the other thing to consider is, you know, not many patients actually come back to use these eggs because they may freeze them at 38, but then they may meet someone. And I always tell patients they should start trying on their own for, their, for six ovulatory cycles um, with their partner because there's still a chance that they would fall pregnant naturally. And remember, doing an egg-free cycle does not alter your future chances of conception, doesn't affect their future chances of fertility, doesn't bring forward their age of menopause, doesn't affect their future at all. So if everything goes well, they can still try on their own and probably still fall pregnant on their own and therefore not even need to use these eggs in the future. Now, I guess what may come upon from this is that more people are freezing their eggs and therefore we're, having, we're slowly um, creating an egg bank in Australia, so to speak. Because if these patients in the future then don't decide to use them because they've had their babies on their own, they may then consider donating these eggs, which, as you know, is the largest gift anyone can give somebody else 
you know, to, to give them a chance at pregnancy. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's hopefully shed a little bit more information on on the IVF cycle itself mm. as well as the considerations of, you know, how many we want to collect and what we look for and, you know, how we process what we're doing. So there is no hard and fast cut off as to whether you can or can't freeze your eggs. I think it's an individualised discussion with your fertility specialist to see, you know, where your egg reserve sits and where your um, situation in life sits and, and make coming to a consensus together. Do you know what the success rate of someone using their frozen eggs if they are over 30 or over 40? Yeah. So the success rates will largely be determined by the quality of the eggs that you have frozen. Mm. So, and that will largely um, depend on the patient's age at the time the eggs were frozen. If we have a good number of eggs frozen, the success rates should equate to the natural success rates of the patient at the time those eggs were frozen. So what I mean by that is at 30, the issue with frozen eggs, as I mentioned before, is that we cannot um, look at what their quality is because there's no test for egg quality. We're only going to know what those eggs Mm. do when we use them. So if the patient comes back at 35 to use them, some 32-year-olds have poorer quality eggs than others. Mm. You know, that's just nature. But we didn't know that when we froze them. We frozen 15 and we thought, great, we'll be right. But then when they come back five years later to use them, we may then find that the eggs are not behaving like other 32-year-old eggs. So it's, it's kind of harder to then gauge the success. But in an ideal world for a 30-year-old patient, out of 15 eggs, we should have 80, 80, 85% survive the thaw, another 70% or so fertilize, another 50% grow the blastocyst. And finally, 30% of those blastocysts, 30 to 40% of those blastocysts should make a baby. And those numbers will change as the woman ages. Mm. So it's, yeah. it's tricky, you know, it's one of those things that the success rates are tailored yeah. to the patient. And it's a very important discussion for that patient to to talk to their specialist, um, strongly correlated to their own numbers. You've touched on quite a few things there, which is great. Uh, One of the areas that you mentioned is pricing. Now, the younger you are, the better quality eggs, the better outcome of having a baby. But egg freezing is quite expensive. And for a 20-year-old who is just starting out their career, that can be pretty expensive. You know, 10K isn't accessible to everyone at that age and it's also non-refundable. So do you think the cost may come down at some point so it is more accessible and opens up the pool for more people? Yes, I I certainly hope so. And we are always working towards different ways. You know, a lot of the cost comes from the actual injections that I used because each for example, Gonal F or um, FSH, you know, whatever brand it is. Um, each injection pen device is about nine, eight to nine hundred dollars, and one device. <gasps> no. Yeah, and one device may only last the patient, you know, between one and three days, depending on the dose that they're on. So usually that's covered by Medicare, and you only pay about forty dollars per device. But when it, when Medicare does not subsidize the treatment, you find that about three four thousand dollars of that cost actually goes towards the medication. So unless pharma companies bring medication costs down, that that will be something that will be harder to fix. But I think as IVF facilities um, are 
are sort of recognising that egg freezing is becoming more mainstream and available, this is when, you know, we look at every way that we can either have payment plans or bring down the, mm. the freezing cost or um, actually workplaces, as we said, like large companies are helping subsidise this freezing. And I find that, you know, with more education, parents are helping their children do this. And, you know, for example, I've got a daughter and, and I'll probably tell her when she's, you know, 28 or 30, if she's single, I'll mm. be like, okay, mom's going to pay for your egg freezing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think, you know, I think most of these things are going to become more mainstream. So I, I do think mm. the freeze cost and the overall cost will come down um, to make it more accessible or at least to have affordable payment plans, definitely. Um, the other thing, I guess, is, medications may become more accessible but that's something we can't really control because it's you know outside what we can do um and medicare may actually change the rules over time because i think what's important to realize is is if that it is good success rates and a mainstream safe procedure it is better for long-term government spending to support a woman through, you know, they could even cap the number and say we will support each woman through three egg freezing cycles in their reproductive life. So, yes, there's a cap that is, you know, then gives people the opportunity to do something, I feel. And then looking at it, when a woman comes back at 40 to use those frozen eggs, we're probably going to get a pregnant in one thaw cycle. So mm -hmm. versus doing five IVF cycles at 40, you know, so I yeah. think that we have to, as a society and government, weigh up the cost-benefits ratio and hopefully this will change over time. Let's just say there's a 20-year-old who has decided to go for egg freezing and they have storage, they've stored them and it's stored for 10 years. I think storage is only up to 10 years. Now, suppose they are not ready to use their egg and it goes um, beyond so, the 10 years. What happens to the eggs then? Yeah, so storage actually is not capped oh, okay. at 10 years. Um, it is the consent, yeah, it is the consent forms that are capped at that at that time. So the quality of the eggs once they're vitrified and snap, snap frozen in liquid nitrogen actually then remains mm -hmm. stable and, um, you know, could in, with good cryopreservation vitrification techniques could outlive us, so to speak. Like they, they just stay at that quality um, for, for long periods of time. And I suppose the thing that will hold a patient back is paying that yearly cost. Um, so most patients, once they've had their family or decided what they're doing with their future, will then actually stop paying for ongoing freeze costs. Um, but a patient is usually invited to renew their consent at five years so that, you know, some patients would have moved. They're not at the same address anymore. Mm. Um, so it's important that if we do have anything frozen with an IVF clinic to update them with any change in details. Mm. And if you renew your consenting, you know, your consent forms to keep these eggs frozen for longer than that duration, then that's that's perfectly acceptable. Mm. So we've had patients use embryos from oncology, you know, teenagers who needed cancer treatment or chemotherapy mm. who um, had to lose their ovaries or their fertility very young. Mm. Um, recently, we had a patient come back after 20 years of having her embryos. Well, they were eggs and then she created embryos frozen and she's had two babies oh, now. Oh, wow. So success rate, yeah, so success rates actually do um, stay 
or should remain pretty static to when those eggs and embryos were created mm. at the age at when the women did that. And I guess while we're talking about cost, another important consideration is um, using those eggs when women decide, let's say, you know, two or three years down the track, they may decide that they're now ready to use the eggs. Mm. They may have met a partner. Um, they may have tried for six, six to 12 months and not been successful on their own. I encourage them to come back to see me to have investigations on why that could be the case, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, do a semen analysis to check their partner. And once we have an idea of where they're at, depending on their, on their egg reserve at the time, we may still plan to do a fresh cycle and use their fresh eggs. Let's say they froze eggs at 32, mm -hmm. but then came back at 38 we would still use their fresh eggs first, depending on how many children they wanted to have. Right. Because when they then came back at 40 or 42 for their second baby, mm. it would be better success using those frozen eggs then right. rather than using them too early. Right. Um, but if we do need to use those frozen eggs, there is a cost involved there as well. It costs about $3,000 at this point to thaw those eggs out and fertilise them with sperm. Mm. And we have to use the ICSI process to fertilise those eggs because they've been stripped and vitrified, so they lose their natural ability to allow sperm to penetrate the egg. Mm. So we have to actually inject the sperm into the egg, and then we create the embryo and do an embryo transfer five days. And then we transfer the embryo five days later when it's at a blastocyst stage. And that whole process will cost the patient about $3,000 on average. Mm. So if someone's thinking about elective egg freezing, is there anything that a woman needs to do to prepare herself? That's a good question, Ella. Um, so the first thing I would suggest is, um, so normally this is a patient who I've seen. We've talked about their age. We've done investigations on their egg reserve and their AMH. We have made a plan that this is a good um, insurance policy versus the costs and risks. And we have decided we're then proceeding with an egg freeze cycle. Um, I normally advise my patients then to, to take into consideration the two weeks that is going to be needed to complete the IVF cycle. So they usually pick a time that is convenient in their job or their life mm. because you, they will need to come into the clinic three or four times to do blood tests and scans during those 10 days. And, um, you know, they will need to set time aside for that. And prior to even getting to that point, if um, the patient was, for example, taking the oral contraceptive pill um, or using a long-term method of contraception, for example, the Nuvering or Implanon, um, then, you know, we may need to consider what we do with that. So if a patient is on the combined contraceptive pill, they usually need to stop that to get a period. Yeah. They don't actually need to stop it for any length of time prior to the cycle. Mm -hmm. They just need to stop it as much as a month before. Now, it's important to mention that when a woman is on the um, contraceptive pill long term, it can artificially reduce their AMH level. Oh. So if I'm seeing a patient to, yeah, so if I'm seeing a patient to investigate if they're, an, if they're a good candidate and if their AMH level comes back lower than their age reserve indicates, I would actually tell them to go off the pill for two or three months and then repeat that level. Mm -hmm. And often we see that it improves. Mm -hmm. If their level is good anyway, um, even while they're on the pill, then there is no reason to stop it any, any further than one month before commencing the IVF cycle. 
I also tell patients to then eat a balanced, you know, good balanced diet, high in good fats and high in protein. Mm-hmm. And I also suggest that they take an, a folate supplement, even though folic acid and folate is historically thought to, um, and is still utilized for pregnancy to support neural tube development in the baby. And obviously for egg freezing, we're not creating a baby yet. Yeah. But I find that the folate helps support methylation of cells and methylation helps cells um, protect them better from reactive oxidative damage. So it may just help nourish the hormonal milieu and the, you know, the egg, egg quality coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, they just, you know, don't need to do anything special. It's just mm-hmm. being healthy, um, eating a good balanced diet, taking antioxidants, um, and stopping the pill if they're taking it. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that's important to mention is there are young women who take progesterone-only long-term contraception, like Implanon or um, the Marina, and that's an intrauterine device. Now, those forms of contraception don't actually disturb the ovarian cycle. They stop pregnancy by being a barrier and by changing hormonal preparation of the uterus, but they don't actually affect um, the way the ovary behaves. So if if a patient has a marina in situ, they don't have to have that removed before they come to see us to consider egg freezing. So we can actually get around it and still complete the cycle with a marina in situ. That, you know, that would be applicable to some people because they probably don't want to have it removed and then have to have it reinserted later because that is a procedure. You've really given us some food for thought and really unpacked the process of egg freezing. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, women are seeking options and, you know, the correct information is so important because it can be complex. I think some women actually don't realise that once your eggs are on ice and you decide to use them, they do have to go through an IVF procedure. But I guess the first step is to speak to a fertility specialist about your options. Manny, thank you so much for your time. And if anybody wanted to contact you, I'll leave your details in the show notes. My absolute pleasure, Ella. It was um, it was really, you know, really good chatting. And um, I really hope I cleared up a few of those um, confusing areas for, for people listening today. And I think, as you said, take home messages. It's a very viable option. It is worth considering if the circumstances are right. Think about it sooner rather than later and don't be afraid to come and speak to one of us because we will often then clarify all the misconceptions that are, um, you know, on Google because you're quite right. I would be overwhelmed as well if I Googled egg freezing, the number of conflicting things that come up, you kind of just sit there and go, oh gosh, too hard basket. So please don't do that. First step is just have confidence pick a specialist you trust and just make an appointment and have a chat. Thank you again so much. Love your enthusiasm and passion and stay safe. Thanks, lovely. My pleasure.